Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture here at Midweek. Thank you for joining us. Here's what we have going on today. We've been giving you updates on hurricane damage in North Carolina, Florida, and Georgia in recent days. Well, today we're going to get an update on the situation in Alabama, another state that was hard hit by Hurricane Michael. We'll get an assessment with an Alabama extension economist a little bit later on in the program. We're going to talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. And we'll get an update uh, on the activities of animal rights groups like HSUS and PETA. Always need to keep an eye on what they are up to. We'll talk with Will Coggin, Director of Research for the Center for Consumer Freedom. But we start things off with the focus on Indianapolis, where the 91st National FFA Convention is underway, and they're expecting over 65,000 to attend. Joining us now from the National FFA Organization is Christy Meyer. Christy, thanks for joining us. I'm sure the excitement level is high, especially with the announcement that President Trump will be visiting on Saturday. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, as you can imagine... Our excitement is great this year, especially with tonight. Our big event is the Garth Brooks concert for our convention attendees. So this year, this year and this week is going to be a pretty big deal for our kids. Yeah, I would say with Garth Brooks tonight, the president on Saturday, uh, the place should be really jumping. Yeah, we think so, and we're already seeing the influx of blue jackets. So I'm, I'm pretty sure we're overtaking the city this week. Yeah, well, that's right. It's a blue wave that comes in, uh, the blue and gold jackets that come in, and the the energy level is all, always ramped up when the FFAers get together. Uh, tell us about the, what else you have on the schedule for the convention this week. Yeah, so the convention will officially kick off at 1.30 today with our Grand March Down FFA Way. Um, and then one of our inaugural pieces that we have this year is called the Blue Room. And so that is a 17,000-square-foot space that it will exclusively focus on experiential learning and expose our students to a lot of the technology in agriculture. So we're really excited about that. Um, in addition to that, um, John Deere is celebrating 75 years of partnership with us. So Sam Allen from John Deere is going to give greetings as well. It's going to be just a very exciting convention with a lot of new things and a lot of our traditional things. You know, we'll have our award winners take the stage for our CDEs and our proficiencies and stars. And of course, on Saturday after president after the president speaks, we will have the election of our new national officers. Uh, kind of give us a, a review of the year for FFA. What kind of year has it been uh, as far as some of the things you think you've accomplished? How's membership? Things like that. Yeah, you know, it's been a really great year for us. Um, we definitely have started focusing a little bit more on the technology and agriculture. Um, we've worked with Microsoft, who is sponsoring the Blue Room, and they're really trying to work with us in terms of how to get that technology out to our members and, and help them really understand what the 21st century of agriculture is looking for. And our membership continues to grow. We're at nearly 670,000 members right now, so it's really good to see that the future of agriculture is strong and continues to grow. And you have been able to grow into areas uh, in the more urban areas and bring even more people in, bring more young people into the organization and um, touch them with agriculture's message. And then they, in turn, take that message back out and touch a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. You know, the best ambassadors for us are our members. 
they are learning how to advocate for agriculture and really share with the country what agriculture is all about and what the future of agriculture looks for us. They are our future, right? They're our future leaders in that industry, and we know that we're really going to need those leaders in that industry as more and more jobs open up in those sectors. And a big focus at convention and, of course, throughout the year for FFA is is career opportunities, career preparation. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, with over 250 career opportunities, we really want our students to be exposed that what all is out there and available for them. And one of the great ways we can do that at convention is through our expo. We have 400 exhibitors that come from industry, and so our students are then exposed to them and can see what they can do in agriculture. You know, they could, whether it be production farming, whether it be veterinary science, whether it be aquaculture, biotechnology, communications, you know, food science. There's so many opportunities, and I think our students are really finding that out. And I also think, Mike, that might be one of the reasons that our membership is growing, because I think students today are looking to see what they can do when they get a little bit older, and I think we're trying to give them that information through our programming, and then they can prepare for that and be our future leaders. We're talking with Christy Meyer from the National FFA Organization at the uh, National FFA Convention this week in Indianapolis. Christy, uh, it look, I know there are two challenges here. One, you want to continue to grow into those urban areas, and you've been able to do that. But I know you're also concerned about challenges facing uh, FFA chapters and ag programs in some of our smaller rural school districts. Yeah, you know, and one of the other challenges that we often run into is that we really need ag teachers. We really need FFA advisors and agriculture education teachers. So we work with NAAE to really try and help them with their Teach Ag campaign and help make sure that we support those those new new teachers as well as the, the veteran teachers and give them what they need. Um, it's just so important for our future, not just for us as an organization, but for our future for our students, for them to be those leaders and to really help fill those positions in agriculture. So it's important that we really support our teachers as well. That shortage of ag teachers, this is not new. This has been a challenge for a number of years. Uh, are you making any progress there? Are you able to attract some of these students uh, to become ag teachers? Yeah, you know, we are. It's, it's always been a problem, but we are noticing that we're making we're making strides in it. You know, we're noticing a little more retention, and we're noticing that when we talk to a lot of our students at convention and we ask them what they want to do, a lot of them that I speak to, the first thing they say is, well, I want to be an ag teacher. My ag advisor has made such an impact on my life. I want to be that person. I want to be able to also be that person to make a difference. So we have really strong advisors out there, and as a result of that, model that they're portraying really influences our students and so we're bringing up a new generation which is wonderful well it's all about to get underway there in indianapolis and i know the convention is a, a highlight for many ffa students when they gather from around the country and they have a chance to uh, make new friends and i know for your officers uh, they put their uh, input into the convention. It's really uh, something that they take pride in. It's always a, a great event and uh, gives us all hope for moving forward. So have a great convention there in Indianapolis. Thanks a lot, Christy. Thanks, Mike. And if anybody wants to follow it live, live streaming, they can go to FFA.org and watch the convention at home. FFA.org and watch the live streaming. Okay, thanks, Christy. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Take care. Christy Meyer with the National FFA organization. So President Trump will be at the convention on Saturday. Uh, meanwhile, Secretary 
of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, making his way around the country. He is uh, in Illinois today uh, talking some ag issues, but a lot of it has to do with the elections coming up, uh, kind of a, uh, several campaign stops he's making on behalf of different uh, 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 candidates for office and uh, trying to give some of them a boost. So he's Secretary Purdue in Illinois today as he continues to make his way around the country on behalf of the administration. All right, coming up next, as we have uh, in the last uh, several days here on Adams on Agriculture, we've been able to bring you reports from some of the states hit hardest by Hurricane Michael. We've heard from uh, uh, North Carolina and Georgia and Florida in recent days. Today we're going to get a damage assessment from the state of Alabama. They were hard hit too. Agriculture there, very hard hit. We're going to talk with an Alabama extension economist for a report. Coming up next, stay with us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. The best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit FDA.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio. You're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. (laughs) They can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, 
the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. We mentioned that President Trump will be at the National FFA Convention on Saturday. He'll be the first sitting president since George H.W. Bush in 1991 to attend uh, the convention. All right, we have been uh, keeping track of uh, Hurricane Michael damage uh, to agriculture in several states, and we've looked at Florida. We've heard from Georgia and North Carolina. Today, a report from Alabama. Max Runge is an Alabama Extension economist, and he joins us now. Max, thanks for being with us. Give us an overview uh, in the aftermath of uh, Hurricane Michael, uh, the damage to Alabama agriculture, if you would, please. I'll be glad to. Right now we're looking at a damage of about $204 million across the uh, southeast corner of the state of Alabama. While we didn't take a direct hit, uh, we did have considerable damage to a number of farms and operations down there, so it's been uh, fairly significant for those producers in that part of the state. What crops in particular were hit hardest? Cotton was hit the hardest out of the uh, just over $204 million in damage. Uh, cotton came in at about $107 million. Uh, so as you, you well know, most of the cotton was just about ready for harvest, uh, and it came in and put it on the ground and scattered it and all that. So cotton took the biggest hit uh, for the ag commodities in Alabama. Yeah, well, that's, that's the story we heard in Georgia as well. Now, wh- what about some of your other crops, uh, some other segments of agriculture? Well, timber was probably the next largest hit. It was uh, just less than $33 million in damage. Uh, So that was, you know, the the trees themselves and a little bit on the pine straw that we've got. Luckily, livestock uh, wasn't all that big. You know, when we say not that big, it was $24.5 million, which is pretty sizable. But we didn't lose many animals, but we had quite a bit of damage in fences and cleanup and just trying to put things back together uh, for that. And anytime you're talking about uh, a section of agriculture that deals with trees, that makes it a longer-term impact, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely it does. Now, because we have quite a few pecan trees in that area, just like Georgia, uh, southwest Georgia does, and some of those trees suffered damage, were uprooted, limbs broken off, and things like that. And that's a long-term recovery period. Uh, The same as the pine trees that were knocked down, broke off, uh, and damaged. And, you know, it just really is heartbreaking and a long-term recovery for those uh, in those industries. We're talking with Max Runge, Alabama Extension Economist, about the damage from Hurricane Michael to a portion of uh, the state of Alabama and its impact on Alabama agriculture. What about infrastructure, Max? Was there much infrastructure damage? We did have some. There were several cotton gins and peanut warehouses, and then with farm structures themselves, uh, irrigation systems 
turned over, barns uh, destroyed and all that, was about $21.5 million in damage uh, across the area. So what about recovery efforts and assistance? What can you tell us there? Well, you know, uh, at this time we're still evaluating and looking at it and just trying to uh, take care of the immediate needs and we're looking forward, hoping that there's going to be some assistance uh, from the federal government or whatever to help uh, offset some of these losses. Uh, the Alabama Cooperative Extension System is putting has put these numbers together and is working to come out with uh, sort of the economic impact, uh, if you will, that will be much larger than the $204 million we're looking at just right on the ground. And that should be out uh, within a week or so. Have people lost power, things like that? Is that a problem? It was. Uh, for the most part, the power in Alabama has been restored. Uh, luckily, some of the poultry producers did have generators and were able to you know, provide power for water and feed for those animals there. Uh, and, of course, you know, that just adds to the cost and uh, lowers the efficiency of the birds and all that. But, you know, luckily we were able to just be able to run off of that. Uh, and most of the power is back on, uh, unlike parts of Florida and I think Georgia as well. So a lot of wind damage, very high winds. Did you have much flooding? Uh, flooding really wasn't an issue. There were heavy rains, and, you know, the the wind was probably did the worst part, peeling back some uh, tin and roofs and shingles on houses and letting the rains come in. Uh, but uh, luckily the flooding didn't happen. You know, the system moved quick enough that it just didn't sit there and uh, provide a lot of rainfall or, or water uh, and causing flood issues. So are you getting visits from uh, federal and state officials looking at the damage? Yes, there are. There's been several uh, officials there right after Michael moved out uh, within a couple of days. And then next week we have scheduled for some of the federal officials to come down, congressional folks to uh, take a tour, look at the damage, and get an update uh, and assessment on the, the damage that occurred to our farmers. And I'm sure a lot of those farmers are, are wondering, asking questions, maybe with crop insurance agents and adjusters and others like that. Absolutely, and working long hours. You know, this is uh, there's never a good time for a disaster, but this is probably the worst since most of the crops were, you know, ready for harvest, and that's when they're most fragile. And it's also when the producers have the most money in it because, uh, you know, they've, they've taken it to harvest. Uh, so there's a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty, and they, you know, there's just a lot of uneasiness out there. And so they're working very close with uh, USDA personnel extension, our crop adjusters and the crop folks, uh, crop insurance folks, uh, to try to get these things in place as soon as possible to try to get some answers. Yeah, I think farmers everywhere can and re- can relate to that, what it must be like to, to see a good crop out there and you're about ready to go out and harvest it and then to see it uh, wiped out like that. Oh, absolutely. It is it's heart-wrenching uh, for those producers and, you know, on the outside looking in, knowing uh, what it takes to produce a crop. Uh, any um, funds that have been set up, uh, any uh, donation uh, projects underway where people can uh, can help with the uh, the recovery? Not that I know of now. Uh, there could be some set up uh, in the near future, and there uh, there's always uh, some possibilities. You know, 
to help in other areas such as the Red Cross and all that. But uh, as far as I know right now, there's nothing being set up on the ag side to do it. Uh, I think uh, Alabama Farmers Federation has set up uh, a way to help producers in that area. So there is there is that. Yeah, and as we we all often say with these situations, uh, once the uh, the storm is gone and maybe some of the media coverage is gone, uh, the the need is not gone. It's going to be there for some time. Absolutely, you know, it's and it's we can take care of some of the immediate things and you know get the power back on and the water running, uh, but. You know, as soon as that sort of the adrenaline goes away and we look, we see the buildings and the machinery and the trees uh, that have been destroyed and are going to have to be replaced and repaired and move on. So it's going to be a long uh, recovery period for uh, producers that were affected by Michael. Max, is there a, a central uh, information uh, gathering spot, a place where people can access information about the damage and uh, assistance? Yes, there is. It's the Alabama Cooperative Extension page. If you just go to aces.edu, and that will provide you a link to the hurricane uh, information uh, that we have here in Alabama. Mm -hmm. So while the the damage wasn't widespread necessarily uh, across the whole state, the the area that was hit certainly was hit hard. Did they have much uh, lead time or a a warning that it was going to hit them? Not really. You know, it was out there and it was developing, uh, but it, you know, stayed as a very low, you know, Category 1. Maybe, you know, they were talking about Category 2, and then within a couple of days it started strengthening and it was moving very rapidly. You know, I guess that was the good news, that it didn't sit out there, but it did come ashore and move very quick. So there wasn't a whole lot of lead time out there. Uh, And, you know, harvest is one of the slowest activities that you can do, so they did all they could to get in uh, the material, things that were ready to harvest, uh, but it, it was a very short lead time for them. Well, we we hope for their recovery and that they can rebuild and move on, but I'm sure some will have to make maybe some tough decisions on whether they're going to move forward with it or not and try to try to go again. Absolutely. You know, the ag economy has struggled. Uh, you know, ag income nationwide is about half of what it was five years ago, and so these producers are going to have to make some, there will be some that won't be in business next year. Yeah, those are tough situations, tough decisions to be made for sure. Max, thank you for the update. We appreciate it. All right, anytime. Okay, Max Runge, an Alabama extension economist. Alabama, another of the states hit hard by Hurricane Michael. A lot of damage uh, uh, to uh, agriculture, to a lot of folks with their crops and with their infrastructure. And as we said, some tough decisions for them moving forward. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. What are the markets focused on right now as we continue through this harvest season and beyond? We'll talk markets next. Stay with us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. On-road or off-road, you'll find the FS lubricant you need from our full line of premium quality products. At FS, our lubricants use the highest quality base oils and latest additive technology to meet and exceed most manufacturer's specifications. Advanced protection against wear ensures you'll get maximum value from both your lubricant and equipment investments. 
Squeeze every bit of performance out of every piece of equipment you own. Let the FS Energy Specialists help you go further. Go further with FS. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Corn and soybean futures facing some harvest pressure on this Wednesday. Some rain delays may occur in northwest and southeastern areas of the Midwest this week, then in western and eastern areas over the weekend, according to private forecasters. January soybeans settled little changed on Tuesday. Buyers supporting beans on the intraday dip to 865. The burden lies on bean bulls to support a recovery above the 20-day moving average at 877 and a quarter. So far on this Wednesday, we're hovering near 865. December corn edged higher yesterday, closing above the 20-day moving average support level. On the downside, a breakdown below 365.5 could leave corn vulnerable to the next target at 360 and a quarter. An hour into the trade on Wednesday, 368 and a fraction, down a penny and a fraction. In the southern plains, wet conditions will further delay wheat planting in southern areas. Kansas City wheat December down six and a half, 501. Chicago wheat December down six and a half, 502 and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat trending a penny or two lower an hour into the day. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, December up 25 at 117.40. Cash cattle bids and asking prices should begin to take on better definition here midweek. In feeder cattle futures, after sharp losses yesterday were mixed, November down 37 cents, back months 20 to 40 cents higher. Lean hog futures, $1.40 to $2.40 higher. Cash being called steady to $2 lower. Outside markets, the Dow down 60 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water in incredible 140 you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we welcome back Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, thanks for joining us. What are the markets focused on right now? 
Uh, well, it's, it really worries about the economy and money flow issues are having an impact. We, I was very impressed with the resiliency of the grain and oilseed markets yesterday uh, as the outside markets were collapsing. But we started seeing more chart weakness for wheat and, and for uh, soybeans start to show up. And then the sharp surge in the dollar this morning as the euro broke lower, we're starting to see a stronger correlation now, inverse correlation between the dollar and the commodities, and that's hurting. So with the dollar higher, uh, some of those new weaker longs are, are liquidating back out of the grain and oil seeds that I was encouraged by yesterday. They're starting to get cold feet today and pulling out. And there was, uh, you know, a lot of attention on the stock market, and it still is very jittery, isn't it? It, it really is. We. We pushed higher early this morning after a good earnings report from Boeing, uh, Boeing revenues beating expectations by a billion dollars, and had a good outlook. uh, And that gave us a bump for a while, but we're back into negative territory again. Uh, Just a lot of uncertainty. We had some negative economic data out of Europe and, of course, worries about China's economy. Um, starting to lose traction, and uh, how the commodity traders see that is if the global growth, if the rate of growth in the global economy is slowing, then that means the demand for commodities is going to slow as well, and so that makes them reluctant to uh, be owners of the commodities. Talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Arlen, I'm always concerned when what appears to be good economic news uh, doesn't result in uh, stronger, higher markets. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when bullish news fails to sustain a rally, take note, and the opposite is true as well. We've had some good, solid economic data here in the United States, but we are dependent on exports. And uh, how the rest of the world goes is important. And, of course, China's key. If we were to get a trade deal with China tomorrow, uh, and even a trade deal with Europe, uh, that would certainly help momentum and be more positive. But uh, uh, Europe's going to take some time, and uh, China doesn't look like we're any closer. I think there's a key 24-day window between the midterm elections and November 30th when uh, President Trump and President Xi are expected to meet on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Argentina. If we don't see anything happen in that 24-day window, we probably won't for a while. There have been more than a half dozen low-level delegations from China that have come to Washington just kind of inquiring what type of an offer would it take to interest President Trump in a deal. Uh, so there is some interest in getting a deal done, but uh, this is more about trade. We saw two Navy uh, ships push through the Straits of Taiwan this week, uh, challenging China's uh, claim to that area of the North, uh, South China Sea. Uh, there's a lot of issues at stake here besides just trade, so I'm not real optimistic we're going to have a deal anytime soon. The old saying, markets don't like uncertainty, and, and, and it depends on how you want to look at that. Uncertainty, volatility can create opportunities, I realize that. But overall, uncertainty is unsettling to markets, and we seem to have plenty of uncertainty right now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I get it. I hear that, too. You know, there's a lot of traders like the algo traders who really love volatility. Um, but overall, when you look at the human side of it, uncertainty makes them reluctant to establish positions or, owner, or ownership in the market. 
for the traditional trader. And uh, October is known for its uncertainty. A lot of times things tend to calm down as you go in November, and particularly when there's an election beyond the election. They'll establish a more uh, certain direction. But right now, the market tends to focus on more of the negative news than the positive, and uh, that's what we're left with right now. So we have harvest still going on. Um, we talked transportation yesterday with Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition. Uh, I guess the, the positive or the bright side of uh, harvest being strung out and a lot of grain in storage is we don't have a lot of transportation issues right now, unfortunately, because things are slowed down as far as moving out, with especially not going to China as much. But uh, we got, we're going to have all this grain sitting in, in piles somewhere, bins, bags, or whatever, uh, it really creates some uh, pressure at some point. Uh, what are we going to do with this? When will the market give uh, farmers that uh, window to, to sell and to move? Uh, and we're really looking at kind of a six-month window. A lot of that grain is going to be on the ground or is already on the ground, and so that means it needs to move by spring. That's when the bills start increasing, and farmers need to see some revenue as well, whether it be payments on their on their note, on their equipment, or land payments, or uh, buying fertilizer for the spring if they haven't already. Uh, so revenue requirements certainly go up as we get into February, March. Um, farmers continue to hope that we're going to see things turn around by that February, March time period. I think that's going to be real critical um, to the health of the farm economy if we don't see a turnaround. Now, having said that, there's a lot of fund managers still looking at these long-term corn fundamentals, wanting to own corn for the long haul. I don't sense any change in that other than they're saying, well, it's a timing issue. Maybe instead of building that ownership now, maybe we'll have a better opportunity in December or January. Uh, they still see the same long-term outlook, but it's a timing issue. When's the best time to get in? And uh, the soybeans, though, even if we get a trade deal with China, sooner is better than later. Um, maybe instead of 885 million bushels ending stocks come down to six or 700 million bushels, uh, but we've been increasing the rate of growth of production in soybeans at a much faster pace than the rate of growth in demand. And the market needs to discourage soybean production this next year and needs to find a price that will guarantee fewer acres next year and get farmers out of the rotation favoring corn again versus soybeans. Okay, so we kind of expect that to be the case next year here fewer soybean acres more corn acres but what's happening in south america how are they viewing all this and what is their response well they love this uh trade spat with china because they feel like they have a guaranteed customer and so they're expanding that expansion is not as much as they first wanted because of the high truck freight rates um and uh currency has been strengthening as well, particularly in Brazil. Uh, the elections have runoff elections on Sunday, and now it looks like the more market-friendly candidate is going to win. He's running about 58 percent, uh, last I heard, in the polls. So it looks like he's going to win. And so we'll, uh, talking to our team yesterday down there, they think the BRL uh, will continue to strengthen to maybe 3.5 to the dollars, they're thinking. And and so as a result, the farmer who was ahead of normal on selling 
is is now just really shut down selling because this is a disadvantage to him to have a stronger currency makes them less competitive and, and less money in their pocket um, but they're still expanding probably around two percent for both corn and soybeans and of course argentina is expected to really recover after the big drop due to drought last year so i'm trying to find this uh this optimistic note going into 2019 uh, where's our bright spot what are, what are we going to hang our hat on going into next year uh, i think there's two keys to watch uh, and uh one i mentioned the longer term corn fundamentals uh, if you look at what's happening in china and i still believe that when we do get a trade deal with china corn will be a key part of that and exports to china for corn um, and global corn stocks are falling at a rapid pace, and much of that's China, but it's other, also other parts of the world as well. And the other is going to be African swine fever and what that does to really reshape the protein market in the world in 2019. I don't see any evidence yet that China has a hold of it. Uh, we also have the wild boar population with it in Europe creating some risks there. Uh, so I think we're going to have some significant shifts in protein production. That means where meat is produced in the world in 2019 and therefore where soy meal demand is located away from China and toward other countries as well. Now, we often hear about those big stocks, corn stocks China has. We don't know how big always or how, what the quality is, but we've heard reports of that being, uh, you know, coming down, using that up. What is? What do you think is the situation there? We've got some pretty good sources within China on those, and uh, basically since Jan- excuse me, since early April, um, the auctions have uh, taken more than 90 million metric tons out of that. Um, probably about 85 million metric tons are left in the reserve. We expect the auctions to wrap up here at the end of October as new crop supplies become available and then to restart in the spring. But that would suggest that they start running out of supplies in 2019. And uh, obviously, I think they hope they have a trade deal with us by that time. Um, because by that time when they run out, they're going to have to go to the world market to meet that demand. Uh, And so the market needs to make sure it finds enough growth in global corn production so that it is available when China does reach the market. And that means the 2019 crop. Now, if we have a big drop in soybean acres, corn can get acres by default, um, but the market needs to make sure that uh, that expansion and production is there. Uh, just keeps coming back to China, and while we wait on a deal, the question becomes, how long does this short-term pain last before we get that deal? All right, always good to talk with you. Thanks, Arlen. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. All right, what are some of these animal rights groups up to, like HSUS and PETA? We're going to talk with Will Coggin, Director of Research for the Center for Consumer Freedom. Get an update next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. 
If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information, and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. 
It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. It's always important to be aware of and keep track of activities of groups like HSUS and PETA. And nobody does a better job of that than Will Coggin, Director of Research for the Center for Consumer Freedom. Will, thanks for joining us. What are they up to these days? Well, in some, in some respects, it's a uh, you know, new day, but same stuff going on with PETA. You know, they are still killing cats and dogs by the truckload over at PETA's headquarters, uh, to the best of our knowledge. You know, going through the end of last year, you know, when, they, when they filed their, their most recent records with Virginia, where they're based, uh, PETA admitted that killing over 1,800 cats and dogs in 2017, and they dumped out just a handful. So, you know, once again, things are still the same at PETA in that regard, and certainly their agenda has not changed either in that respect. You know, they're still out there on the street protesting, you know, zoos, uh, people who sell fur and leather, people, uh, restaurants that serve meat and so forth. So, you know, in some respects, PETA is still out there. Uh, what has changed recently with PETA is, the, is their alliance with this new and emerging group that is extremely radical, and frankly, you could call sort of the new Animal Liberation Front, uh, which your listeners may remember was designated as a terrorist group by the FBI uh, some years ago. Um, so that's, that's some interesting stuff going on with PETA. Uh, with HSUS, you know, certainly they are still in, in a hunkering down mode after uh, their longtime CEO, Wayne Pacelli, resigned back in February uh, with the big Me Too scandal. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, with him gone, has that has that set them back? Or uh, I know they were having uh, some questions about donors from donors as well. Uh, what is their situation right now? You know, they're being very quiet, and the new CEO seems to have a very different personality than Wayne Pacelli did, uh, but still has the same agenda. So their new CEO, her name is Kitty Block, and she's been with HSUS for about 25 years or so. And before that, she was with PETA, which is really no surprise. Um, so she is certainly cut from the same cloth in terms of, you know, their overall agenda. I mean, you may remember that Wayne Baselli had a number of statements that he's made uh, about how he, he really didn't like pet ownership, for instance, and that he wanted the world to be vegan, that he, you know, liked PETA and so forth, um, you know, things that we were able to surface from him. She's had a much uh, lower key profile. She's, been a, she's a lawyer involved in a lot of international work. Uh, but from what we, we can tell, there's no real change at HSUS in terms of their agenda. Um, in terms of their fundraising, you know, the, the word we're hearing through the grapevine is that they obviously took a hit uh, from the sexual harassment scandal and involved not just Pacelli, but also uh, a vice president, Paul Shapiro, who also resigned earlier this year. 
Um, however, you know, with the recent hurricanes we saw in the Carolinas and Florida and Georgia, you know, HSUS is out there putting out these online appeals and trying to raise a lot of money off the hurricanes and, and trying to essentially act like nothing is wrong and everything's good over at HSUS. So there's certainly, certainly we're out there uh, trying to let people know uh, what's going on and say, hey, don't fall for this sham. Uh, make sure to give the people who actually use your money for animal welfare, for good uh, rescue and care of animals, you know, not a group that gets a degrade from Charity Watch. Yeah, you can't let your guard down. And again, I tell people this all the time. Uh, if you want to help animals in need, give to your local shelters. Give to those uh, groups that you can watch and you can see how your money's being used. Don't think by sending it to some national organization like HSUS that somehow that money's going to come back to your local shelters because it just doesn't work that way, does it? No. In fact, you know, I'll, I'll talk about some analysis we just did you know, related to the hurricanes. So how these disasters work is you know, HSUS comes in after the hurricane, you know, they've got a big camera crew. You know, after Hurricane Sandy, they spent $10,000 on photography uh, that we were able to track down. They may have spent even more. Um, so it's all about, you know, getting video footage, getting fundraising appeals out there as fast as possible and raising all this money. And so you might ask, well, do these local animal rescues that, that care for these animals that are hit hard by these disasters, you know, what do they get from this? And so, you know, we looked at HSUS's tax return, uh, and we looked at two things. One is, you know, shelters in these disaster-affected areas that, that bear a brunt of the cost. And also these you know, so-called shelter partners where HSUS takes animals from a disaster area and flies them out to Seattle or New Jersey or Minnesota um, and, and you know, dumps them off on these local shelters that you know, may already uh, be pretty stretched thin in terms of resources. And we're finding, uh, based on HSUS's tax return, that very, very little money uh, goes to you know, groups in, you know, actual groups on the ground, these local organizations in, in disaster-affected areas, as well as the HSUS shelter partners. Um, so, again, you know, to what you said, you know, you know, it's all about the money to HSUS and, and collecting as much as possible, but very little is actually given out to these local pet shelters. So, yes, uh, definitely give local when you can. Yeah. It's donor beware. I mean, I don't – we can all be moved by a commercial showing the sad plight of an animal and, and music and somber words and all that, but don't be uh, misled. I mean uh, – there are animals probably close by to all of us that need help, and you can help those animals by giving to your local shelter. Exactly. You know, local shelters, and they don't just need you know, money. Uh, obviously, you know, even local shelters, there's occasionally one that's run poorly, but you can always just donate supplies. You know, if you have extra towels hanging around, uh, you know, paper towels, you know, any kind of equipment, you know, spare food uh, that uh, could be good for pets, you know, shelters often take just supplies. You know, they, money is nice, but they also need supplies as well. So if you have something hanging around and, you know, if, if your budget's tight and not, not able to make a donation to a local shelter, you can always just give them some supplies that they can use. And on PETA, didn't they make a comment recently about people who drink milk? <laughs> they did. They did make a comment. They, they, they linked drinking milk to white supremacy. And the only connection really is that is apparently that you know milk is white, and somehow there's some story in the New York Times about some neo-Nazis that liked the fact that milk was white, and somehow Peter turned that into milk equals white supremacy. You know, it's it's again one of these things that kind of starts on the internet and kind of snowballs into um, some crazy place. I mean, it's totally illogical, but you know, it's a typical Peter stunt, uh, you know, claiming that milk is somehow racist. Um, but, again, you know, that just goes to show you, you know, these guys think in a totally different way. Um, that's just 
totally outside of mainstream thought. And frankly, the more people that see stories like that about PETA, I think the more damage it does uh, to PETA than anything else. Will, as always, thank you for the update, and uh, it, I think it's always important for us to be aware of what these kind of groups are doing uh, because uh, they can uh, they can put pressure on companies and uh, and situations that uh, we need to be aware of and uh, make sure the correct information gets out and we know what's going on. Thank you for all the work you do. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Will Coggin, Director of Research for the Center for Consumer Freedom. With that, we wrap things up for today. Much more coming up tomorrow. Lots of things, lots of key stories going on with uh, trade and uh, uh, harvest and a lot of these other issues. We'll keep you up to date right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.